The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. As we age, we are more likely to be at risk of losing our sight. In fact, it was predicted that by 2020, over 800,000 Australians would suffer blindness or some degree of vision loss. However, on a more positive note, 90% of vision loss is highly preventable or treatable. Today on MediTalk, we speak with Dr. Charlotte McKnight about a number of very common eye conditions and general eye health. Dr. McKnight is an eye surgeon and consults and operates from St. John of God Hospital in Subiaco, as well as both at Royal Perth and St. Charles Gardner Hospital. What is a cataract? A cataract is a a cloudiness of the eye's natural lens. All eyes have a lens inside that focuses light, and with time and sunlight, lenses become gradually more cloudy. When the cloudiness starts to affect vision, that's when we call it a cataract. There are different types of them. Uh, Cataracts are classified generally according to where inside the lens the cloudiness develops. So cloudiness that develops deep in the centre of the lens that is very murky and muddy cloudiness, that's called a nuclear cataract and that's the most common type of cataract we see. Cataract that develops around the outside layers of the lens, that's cortical cataract. That um, is a a sort of more spiky uh, appearance when the cataract is is observed with our machinery, but it causes a lot of light scatter. So they they cause slightly different visual effects. Uh, The third major type is a posterior cataract, and that's right deep at the back of the lens, quite granular, and people get a lot of blurry vision from that type of cataract. Can you develop a cataract in just one eye or both eyes, or can it start in just one eye and go to both eyes? How does that actually develop in your eyes? Uh, because uh, the two eyes are generally exposed to the same risk, they, they're the same age, they've had the same sunlight exposure, any other risks like, um, like diabetes tend to affect both eyes, we generally see cataracts uh, developing on both sides. But often it's asymmetric. So there's often one cataract that's worse than the other one. So when people first notice their cataracts, they often notice it um, in one eye first. Okay. And then if you if it is in one eye first, is it is 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 it there a way of actually preventing it going into the other eye or not really? Um, there are some simple things that can um, reduce the risk of cataract or the reduce the risk of um, worsening cataract, um, perhaps uh, reducing the sun's uh, the, the eye's exposure to the sun, making sure that any um, blood sugar issues have been identified and controlled. Uh, but some of the things, in fact, the major risk factors for developing a cataract, like age, uh, we can't do anything about, um, and so. In that case, I reassure uh, my patients that uh, certainly they may develop a cataract in their second eye, but it's a condition that is uh, treatable and curable. Uh, So if it does develop in that second eye, they don't need to be too worried. And then how many Australians are actually diagnosed with cataracts? Cataracts are really common. So if you take a big sample of the general Australian population over the age of 50 and look at them all uh, under our equipment, 
half of them will have cataract already there. And by the time people get to the age of 80, almost everybody has some cataract identified. Um, the, and obviously not all of those people will be diagnosed with cataract and certainly not all of them do require surgery. Uh, but cataract surgery is still the most common elective surgery that's performed in Australia, which reflects you know, the frequency of cataracts in the general population. And do we get more cataracts because we're Australians and we get a lot of sunshine as well? Are we at more risk because of our wonderful weather and country we live in? Look, probably, but worldwide cataracts are really common throughout um, throughout the world and it's one of the major causes worldwide of vision loss, uh, particularly in countries that don't have the uh, excellent medical care that Australia does. There are, um, it's one of the top causes of blindness in developing countries is untreated cataracts. So we're very lucky in Australia that um, even though we certainly do develop a lot of cataracts in our community, we have the uh, medical resources and infrastructure to treat it really effectively. And that was a lot of the wonderful work that Friend Hollows was doing, wasn't it, when he was, and, and he's still his foundation does that, that work in third world countries, don't they? That's exactly right, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, you talked about diabetes um, just prior. Is that, that's one of the major risk uh, factors for cataracts? Are there others that we should be mindful of? Uh, certainly diabetes is, uh, cataract is more common in people who have diabetes. Uh, if people have been treated with um, steroid therapy, either tablet steroid or eye drop steroid, they're more likely to develop cataracts. Uh, an eye that's had an injury to it or a surgery for some other reason is more likely to develop a cataract. Uh, but really the major uh, risk is age. And uh, even in people that have none of those problems at all, uh, cataract can still develop and is still a, a significant problem. Can we get them as young people? And what are other eye conditions that young people get? Yeah, absolutely. So cataracts can occur um, at any age. And some children are in fact born with cataracts. Oh, yeah. uh, that type of cataract is a, as a slightly different subset. It's still a cloudiness of the lens of the eye. But of course, the uh, risk factors and the reasons for developing that cataract are different when they happen in uh, infants or children than when they happen in adults. Uh, childhood cataract is much less common um, and um, and the risks are slight the, the risks that uh, result in the development are slightly different to the the much more common age-related cataract. And would that be more hereditary then? Some cases are hereditary. Um, some cases are due to some other insult when the baby is developing, um, some infections in the mother uh, that are transmitted to the baby can result in cataracts. Uh, alternatively, um, there can be hereditary or genetic factors that are at play. So there are some families that have uh, certain genetic conditions that make them more likely to develop cataract. But sometimes childhood cataracts can develop out of nowhere for no good reason. Uh, thankfully, it's not a common problem that we see, um, but, um, but it is well recognised in, in children as well. And if a cataract is diagnosed early, mm. does it have a greater success in terms of surgery? Uh, so... In that subset of children and infants, timing of surgery is absolutely critical because of development of the visual pathways. 
in an adult with cataracts, the timing of surgery, uh, the considerations are a little bit different. So um, what I would say is that there is no one time that a cataract must be done and certainly just because a cataract is sitting there doesn't mean it needs an operation. I wouldn't recommend doing a cataract operation too early because if a person is not bothered by uh, visual symptoms or visual issues, subjecting them to a surgical operation is uh, unnecessary for everyone involved. Similarly, though, I wouldn't leave a cataract too late because advanced cataracts or mature cataracts can have other problems associated with them, including uh, an increase in the surgical risk. So there is a window of time uh, when cataract surgery uh, should be done in an adult and the individual patient is the one who is best able to tell me when that time is for them. Mm. Uh, and so anybody who has a cataract, if it's diagnosed by their optometrist or they're concerned about the risk of cataract, um, I, I sit down and have a chat with them about actually how much um, it's affecting them and then what they could expect from a surgical operation. And then together we can make a decision about the, the timing of cataract surgery tailored for them. And then what are the signs that we should be looking out for where, okay, now's the time we need to go and speak to either their GP or their optometrist? You know, what are the signs? And then if they're getting those signs... What's their first point of contact? So the earliest thing uh, that people describe uh, is often um, either a change in their glasses prescription where their a previously stable glasses prescription starts to sort of change um, rapidly or unexpectedly uh, and a glare and halos um, around lights, particularly night driving, starts to become um, a problem early on. Uh, Later, the clarity of the vision reduces, so um, small print and distance vision becomes not quite so clear uh, and, and contrast is reduced, so gradually uh, worsening to blurred vision. And some people get problems with ghosting, sort of um, smearing or doubling of their vision as well uh, with cataracts. But it's, a, it's quite different the ways it presents um, in different people. Uh, Cataracts can cause some eye strain too, but if a person is experiencing a pain in their eyes or a gritty irritation uh, of the eyes, it's generally something else. It's generally an eye surface problem rather than a deeper problem with the cataract. And then would they reach out to see an optometrist or their GP? What, what do you recommend is a good is a good course of action. The optometrist is uh, a very good first port of call. Uh, general practitioners also uh, see patients with cataracts, but they don't have the um, the specialised equipment to confirm the um, uh, the diagnosis. So either um, an optometrist who can then refer to an eye surgeon or a GP that can then refer for an eye surgeon's um, uh, examination would be the pathways for getting a check for cataracts. Generally, an optometrist in the community will be the first port of call. And then how is it diagnosed just when they go, those big machines that we go to when we go to the optometrist and have our eyes tested? Is that 
Is that what we're sort of, it's not going to hurt us or anything like that? Uh, not at all. Not a painful test whatsoever. First, uh, Lee, the vision would be checked on a letter chart to see what uh, the, the person is actually um, able to read. And then uh, the machine with the uh, some bright lights flashing in the eyes um, to have a look um, at the lens of the eye. To get a, a really good impression of the full extent of the cataract, uh, some dilating eye drops are often used um, to open the pupil so we can see um, all of the cataract. And then what are the varying treatment options? So you've had your diagnosis. Mm. Where to from here? Where What options are there now available to people with cataracts? So the mainstay of uh, cataract treatment is a surgical operation. Um, the, um, so the, the decision-making about treatment really becomes whether or not uh, we should be operating or not. Um, in early cataract, that might be only causing a little bit of focusing problem. It's not threatening driving uh, where, the, um, where the patient is still um, comfortable with their visual experience. It's quite fine to, um, to simply persist with glasses and, um, and observe over time. Uh, but if surgery is required, if the visual symptoms are bothersome, uh, then it would be a, um, a cataract operation, which is a day case surgery. Wow, it happens so quick. So how, how long are you under for? Uh, it's uh, one of the, um, the cataract surgery is just, it is the most beautiful operation in all of medicine. Really? By Everyone's, every without, surgeon says theirs is the best. <laughs> well, I can assure you that there is nothing that my general surgical or orthopedic <laughs> colleagues do that could compare to this. It is um, a really quite a short period of time of very delicate work. So it involves, uh, in fact, most of the time, only a local anaesthetic with some sedation to stay comfortable and relaxed throughout, uh, keyhole incisions, and the cataract lens is, um, is uh, removed using a high-tech ultrasound and a vacuum from mm. the eye, and a new high-tech lens that is crystal clear is inserted inside the eye and it opens up like a butterfly into mm. its position. And most of the time we don't even need to use any stitches whatsoever, just done under local anaesthetic. Takes in the order of 10 to 15 minutes of wow. surgical time. Uh, but the whole process of coming into the hospital, having the eye mm. drops and the sedation and recovering afterwards, I tell people to expect to be in hospital for half a day. How long before they actually will be able to see the difference? So there is an iPad that's on overnight. Mm -hmm. uh, the next morning that's taken off and uh, most people can see a difference that very next morning. Wow. Uh, often the vision is uh, a little hazy. Of course, there's swelling uh, and the vision sharpens up, but really it sharpens up over the first week to be um, really comfortable. Um, and by the end of that first week, um, certainly my patients should expect to be able to drive. Um, even though the eye may be a little sensitive to light, um, they will be certainly within the, um, the requirements for driving. Wow, that's amazing. So in such a short period of time, the results are quite outstanding. 
We're very lucky that cataract surgery, modern cataract surgery, is such an uh, effective and, for the most part, very predictable operation. Of course, all operations have some risk. And I um, wouldn't want to uh, sort of sort of over-promise or oversell an operation. Mm. Uh, and each individual person's circumstances must be taken into account because all eyes are different. Mm. Um, and eyes that have other um, problems with them, whether it might be um, issues in the retina, um, issues with the eye surface, uh, or a history of injury or surgery, for instance, the um, the outcome after cataract surgery might um, be limited by those other factors. Uh, but for the most part, you know, I'm I'm so privileged to um, to do an operation that people uh, see such a huge benefit from. And often, are people suffering for quite a long time before they might go for surgery, and then they think, oh, Wish I'd had that earlier. Is that often something that people comment on? Uh, I do hear that. I do hear that from time to time. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, some of the um, the work I do in the um, in the public hospitals, there's some um, of the patients that come through there from disadvantaged backgrounds, or um, uh, some of our migrant populations that don't have the um, uh, the easy access to healthcare, um, the the cataracts that we see there sometimes are really quite advanced and significant. And I think this goes back to what you're saying about Fred Hollows and mm. the and the work that they've done. There is something just uh, so special about being able to give somebody back uh, their sight when it has been so long since they have seen mm. clearly. And we take it so much for granted, like our hearing, like so many more, uh, so much of our senses we take for granted when they're when they're working, and then when they're not working, we think, oh. yeah, yeah. Um, so then what's a realistic outcome of surgery? So when you've got a patient in front of you and some people might be thinking, oh, I'm going to get 20-20 vision, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what, what, what would be your um, comment on that? Well, uh, each of my patients, I speak to them, I speak with them about what they um, what they can expect from the operation because it is different for everybody. It does depend on if you have any other eye problems at the same time. Um, certainly for an eye that doesn't have any other eye problems, 20-20 vision is what we are aiming for, for sure. Um, but it needs to be recognised that the lens that is put into the eye is uh, for the most part a lens that is focused at one focal distance. So if people are wanting to see in the distance and wanting to see at near, they may have to still wear glasses for near work. If they don't want to wear glasses for near work, then we have uh, some tricks up our sleeve that we can use to reduce the reliance on uh, on glasses after cataract surgery. Mm -hmm. um, multifocal lenses or one eye distance, one eye near are a few of the tricks that we use because one of the great things about cataract surgery, because we're operating on the lens of the eye, which is the focusing structure of the eye, we can um, manipulate that focusing and 
often reduce people's reliance on their glasses. Uh, so if somebody starts out with a strong glasses prescription, I can certainly um, reassure them that we will reduce that prescription right down. Mm. Uh, and people who are motivated to not wear glasses at all, um, I can talk through the various options that might be available for them. So it's a, um, it's a way to harness that added bonus of prescription change after cataract surgery um, to our advantage. Mm. And then if you're middle-aged and you've got um, a parent that suffered cataracts, you're probably going, oh, how can I prevent it from happening to me? And I know this, we can't fight ageing, <laughs> um, but you were saying, what are, what are the things I was reading about that even your eating a healthy diet, healthy lifestyle risk factors can be of benefit to our eye health. What are mm. these, what are the things we should be doing to prevent uh, and, and improve our eye health? Uh, so certainly sun protection is um, one thing that we can do. Um, it certainly is related to cataract development. It's related to other uh, disease in the eye. Pterygium, uh, pterygium is a common uh, eye problem we see in Australia that I look after a lot of patients um, who need pterygium surgery as well. And, that's and what's that? That is a, um, a growth on the surface of the eye that's red and inflamed and actually starts to cross over, over the coloured area of the eye and it's related to sun exposure. Uh, obviously, some people are more prone to developing them than others, uh, but that can cause a lot of problems with irritation, discomfort and even blurry vision too. Um, and protecting the eyes from sunlight is a way to um, reduce pterygium development as well. Other things to do to improve or maintain general eye health, um, I, I certainly would recommend all of uh, the general medical risk factors. So blood pressure, cholesterol, blood sugar, all the things that increase our general cardiovascular risk also increase the risk of complications in the eye. And there are some eye diseases that um, we have no surgery for that mm. cause a really dramatic loss of vision uh, and they're caused by those same things that cause heart attacks and strokes. So if people can reduce their general medical risk, they can be reassured that they're protecting their eyes as well. Um, certainly diabetes is one of the causes of a lot of eye disease in, um, in Australia um, and so uh, strict diabetic control and uh, regular checks with an optometrist or an ophthalmologist of general eye health can be really good at identifying any problems before they develop or before they develop to the level of vision loss. Um, certainly people uh, over the age of 50 should have intermittent checks of the eye pressure uh, because glaucoma is a condition in our community that can cause uh, gradual loss of vision um, without people having any symptoms at all. And so regular um, checks, optimising general medical health. Um, dietary factors uh, certainly do play a role. There's good evidence that um, a diet rich in particular antioxidants and a particular vitamin and mineral combination is protective against uh, macular degeneration. Um, so um, I would recommend um, a sort of a general healthy, varied diet for, um, for general eye health. Having said all of that, um, 
in terms of preventing cataract development, I would reassure people that um, if they do, despite all of those um, good lifestyle measures, if they do develop a cataract, we are um, able to manage it um, uh, very effectively and that it is happily um, a curable uh, sort of a problem. What about all our exposure, and it's certainly been increased since obviously COVID, but to computers, to our phones, and we hear about mm. blue light exposure and certainly children are, are being more and more exposed to um, blue light because they're attached to these devices. No, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Are you seeing a increased or what's a, does it put us at high risk of having eye problems? The major eye problem that's associated with screen use um, is actually um, dry eyes and eye strain. When we spend long periods of time looking at computers or devices, naturally our blink rate slows down and the natural oils that are produced by the eyelids that keep the eyes comfortable and the vision clear um, aren't released uh, in a healthy way onto the surface of the eye. So people can uh, describe um, sort of aching eyes or feeling the eyes are tired or strained. Sometimes the eyes get watery to compensate for the dryness of the oils uh, or even intermittent blurred vision or difficulty focusing at near can happen because of that uh, effect. To reduce that risk, I would uh, encourage people to take uh, regular short breaks, look up from their devices and look up from their screens because changing the focus stimulates that blink reflex. And if you are prone to, um, to eye strain and dry eyes, using a regular preservative-free lubricating eye drop before long periods of computer or screen use can reduce the risk of problems. In terms of the blue light, that's a really interesting area mm. of research. Uh, what we can be reassured about is that the blue light itself doesn't cause any uh, toxic effects to the eye or to the retina. Uh, but what it can do is um, particularly use of um, screens, light emitting devices and those with um, large amounts of blue light, using it in the evenings or at night can have effects on natural melatonin release and, uh, and can disrupt our circadian rhythm. So reducing um, screen time in the evenings or using settings that are blue light reducing settings for nighttime uh, probably can help in terms of the body's natural sleep-wake cycle. And if you are a concerned parent listening to this podcast and, you know, you're worried that your children are watching too much telly or being on the device for too long, are those sort of tips that you've just shared for children as well, that taking they need to take some breaks away from their screens or, if, you know, to, to help? Do they suffer dryness as like adults? Uh, absolutely. Um, all of those things apply to kids as well. I mean, my I have four children and so I know all about <laughs> screens and kids. Um, so I think that we should be doing everything we can to um, to be really intelligent around the use of screens in children. Mm. I don't think um, for an instant we should be fear-mongering or panicking about damage to their eyes. It's not something that is going to permanently um, damage their vision or their eyesight. Um, but having said that, 
We know in large groups, group studies of childhood activity mm. that children that do more um, indoor near work have increased rates of myopia or short-sightedness compared with uh, groups of children who have more outdoor time. So you have to balance the, the sort of benefits of near work and study with the benefits of outdoor time and, of course, sun protection in Australia. Yes, of course. So it's not a cut and dry, easy piece of advice, but the general... Um, uh, the general principle of moderation, frequent breaks and combining with other uh, activities I think is the way to go. And then what about looking for a pair of sunglasses because you've talked about mm. trying to, you know, limit our exposure to the sun and wearing sunglasses and sometimes what, what are the things we should be looking for? Uh, look, I think um, certainly sunglasses that have uh, ultraviolet light protection within them are um, just essential. And luckily, most of the sunglasses available in Australia will have meet that requirement. Uh, there probably is a benefit to having a, a design of sunglasses that wraps around um, to the side because some of the um, the light damage that Certainly the light damage that we believe causes pterygium is, um, is entering the eye obliquely from the side and being focused um, on the eye. Um, uh, and uh, if people see their own optometrists, their own optometrists can often give them advice about uh, which particular sunglasses would be best for them and for their use. Fantastic. So just to end, what are three key messages? We've had a really good broad chat today, so thank you. What are three key messages that really stand out for you that we should know about eye health and cataracts? Uh, well, with regard to cataracts, the first thing that I would say is that um, they are very common um, and they uh, can happen uh, gradually and creep up on people uh, without... Uh, a person even realising in the early stages that they do have cataract. Uh, so a general awareness of, um, of cataracts and what they are, I think, is really important in the general community. The second thing to say, though, is just because there is a cataract there, it doesn't mean it needs a surgical operation. So don't be concerned that going to get checked for cataracts is going to all of a sudden mean that you're uh, steamrollering down a, uh, um, a highway to the operating theatre. It's not the case at all. Uh, but the third thing to say is that um, if cataract surgery is required, we can all be reassured that it is um, a really a very safe and predictable and widely performed operation in Australia, um, for which we're very, very lucky. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Greatly appreciated. Oh, thank you so much for uh, speaking with me. A big thank you to Dr McKnight for sharing her knowledge with us today on MediTalk and to learn more about Dr McKnight and St John of God Hospital Subiaco, visit sjog.org.au. If you feel this podcast episode can help a friend or a family member, please share as sharing knowledge empowers our lives and the lives of others. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute to write a quick review on Apple Podcasts. To listen to more episodes of MediTalk, visit meditalk.com.au and if you have any medical conditions you would like to learn more about, please send me an email via danae at meditalk.com.au. Stay well and thank you for listening.